Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. This is NBA Today, hosted by Malika Andrews, live from Los Angeles. We have a developing story as we start NBA Today. Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver is accused of overseeing an organization that many employees have described as toxic and sometimes hostile, reporting from ESPN's Baxter Holmes reveals. Holmes interviews with more than 70 former and current Suns employees who've been a part of the team throughout Sarver's 17-year tenure, alleged he's used racially insensitive and even lewd language repeatedly in the office. He also displayed conduct employees recount as inappropriate and misogynistic. And multiple current and former employees also told ESPN about conduct by other members of the Suns leadership team that they felt contributed to the work environment. And while none said that Sarver was involved in those incidents. Many felt that Sarver's own conduct contributed to the culture that affected how some other managers within the organization treated their employees. The Phoenix Suns, for the first time in 28 years, are going back to the NBA Finals. The Phoenix Suns began this season as defending Western Conference champions. A team riding high with the veteran presence of all-time great Chris Paul, a young star in Devin Booker, a top coach in Monty Williams, and reigning executive of the year, James Jones. But an ESPN investigation has revealed that the Suns' success on the court has emerged alongside a sometimes toxic and hostile workplace under majority owner Robert Sarver. More than 70 current and former employees interviewed by ESPN recounted conduct by Sarver they felt was inappropriate and misogynistic, including the use of the N-word and lewd comments made during staff meetings. Former Suns head coach Earl Watson told ESPN that Sarver once used the slur after a game. You know, why does Draymond Green get to run up the court and say N-word? Sarver, who is white, allegedly said, repeating the N-word several times in a row. You can't say that, Watson, who is black and Hispanic, told Sarver. Why? Sarver replied. Draymond Green says N-word. You can't expletive say that, Watson said again. Sarver denied he used the N-word through his legal team, saying this is absolutely untrue. Sarver said he talked with a Suns player who had received a technical foul during the game for using the N-word, questioning why he had received a technical when other players who say it do not. The player, through his agent, told ESPN that he does not recall speaking to Sarver that night. I've never called anyone or any group of people the N-word, or referred to anyone or any group of people by the N-word, either verbally or in writing. Multiple Suns employees also recounted inappropriate conduct from Sarver, such as him once passing around a picture of his wife in a bikini to employees and speaking about sex with his wife. We're passing it around like a hot potato. Like, what in the hell are we supposed to do with this? That was just, you know, one early glimpse at the man. 
Sarver, through his legal team, told ESPN the moment has been twisted into something more nefarious than it was and that he has never discussed his sex life in the office. A retailer sent my wife and me a sample along with a brochure and I took a picture of her in the sample. I took the brochure and picture of her and gave it to the people at the Suns in charge of overseeing merchandise with the message, here's the catalog, this is what the swimsuit looks like, and if you have any interest in carrying this line in the team shop, then here's the number to call. Multiple current and former employees also told ESPN about conduct by other members of the Suns' leadership team that they felt contributed to the work environment. While none said Sarver was involved in those incidents, many felt that Sarver's own conduct contributed to a culture that affected how some other managers within the organization treated their employees. They said they don't know how no one has ever been held accountable. If the commissioner comes in and investigates to see what the expletive is going on in Phoenix, he would be appalled. Jason Rowley, president and CEO of the Suns, defended Sarver. This story is completely outrageous and false. It doesn't represent at all the Robert Sarver I've worked alongside of for 15 years. He's not a racist and he's not a sexist. During the bubble, Draymond Green was fined $50,000 for tampering, saying Devin Booker should leave the Suns. And Draymond tweeted this earlier today, but I was fined, laughing out loud, shaking my head. And then shortly after Baxter's story came out, the vice chairman of the Phoenix Suns released this statement. The conduct he is alleged to have committed has stunned and saddened me and is unacceptable. The well-being and safety of every Suns employee, player, coach, and stakeholder is first and foremost our priority. My sincerest sympathy goes to out to all of those whose lives and professions have been impacted. And although today's revelations fall under the jurisdiction of the league, which decides and takes any action based on its findings, I offer my support to ensure there is full accountability. Baxter Holmes, who reported this story, joins me now. And Baxter, nobody knows the story better than you. You reported it. You investigated it. What themes stand out to you from the culture under Robert Sarver's ownership? One of the things that will probably always stay with me was how a very simple question to current and former staffers led to just really remarkable responses about the culture of the organization. And that question was, what's it like to work there? Or what, what, what was it like to work there? And you would hear the same themes over and over and again from people who worked in virtually every department across the organization throughout a 17-year period. And they would share the same kinds of stories. It was eerily similar with respect to you know, verbal harassment, retaliation, a culture of fear, a culture of intimidation, sharing stories about misogyn uh, misogyny, racism, and a top-down, as we, as we noted in the story, of, of Robert driving the culture, but then those beneath him uh, uh, acting in many ways in the same that he did. Your, your reporting here is, is so thorough. But how was this allowed to go on for as long as it did, Baxter? This is a for as many questions as I asked of staffers. This is the question that they probably asked me the most, and mm. they described watching investigations unfold in Dallas and with the Clippers, and wondering, you know, over a 17-year period, how has not only you could say the NBA, but just as, how has no entity, any entity at all, 
uh, stepped in and held anyone to account, investigated the culture. Certainly there's been a ton of turnover and there's like, how has no one taken a closer look? It's, so it's a question that many have, have asked uh, of me throughout, uh, throughout this process. Interesting. So, I mean, one thing that stood out to me through all of this was the lack of HR. There were so many examples, but just one was the woman who said that after being assaulted, HR decided that moving her desk away from the male coworker who allegedly assaulted her was the solution. So why wasn't there overall, not just in that specific instance, more of a response? This was a theme that, that came up time and again from so many staffers. In fact, some were texting me just before I came on air with you guys about the problems in HR and feeling that in a culture of fear and retaliation that they had no outlet to go to, mm. to voice issues about those above them with respect to the conduct, uh, with respect to behavior. Certainly that situation was one that was cited to me as an example of a, of a failure and, and further uh, evidence of employees saying, this is why we don't want to go to HR. Also, HR employees telling me that they would privately pull employees aside and saying, we cannot, we cannot make amends to whatever the, the issues are you're dealing with. We recommend that you would just sue the organization. Wow. So when all of this began, the Suns were a team that had repeatedly been missing the playoffs, but they made their last NBA Finals, they made their first NBA Finals appearance just, just last year. So what then is the morale inside the organization now? It was, it was really striking to me because when I began reporting on this story, they had, they had momentum coming off 8-0 run in the bubble after 10 years of being at the very bottom of the league. Right. And seeing this run, I was curious, what... What's the morale inside the organization? And people time and again said, in, in many ways, the culture is lower than it's ever been because all of the things that have plagued us for so long with respect to the culture and the workplace still exist. But there's all this excitement around the team finally being good again, but, but we on the inside are having to deal with these issues. And the word that people kept using is, it's bittersweet. Mm. We're not able to enjoy this. Interesting. Thank you so much, Baxter, for your reporting and for joining us. I'm sure you're going to be back with us as we continue to monitor this story. And according to Baxter's reporting, NBA spokesperson Mike Bass said the league has not, quote, received a complaint of misconduct at the Suns organization through any of our processes, including our confidential workplace misconduct hotline or other correspondence. We're now joined by senior NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski. Adrian, what are the next steps for the league here? Uh, Malika, the, the NBA's had about three hours uh, to digest Baxter's story. It's certainly a long story, comprehensive, you know, a great deal of reporting in there. Uh, I'm told that they're, they're planning uh, to announce here at some point uh, a league investigation into the Suns. And listen, you can expect that to take some time. You've seen a couple other uh, uh, owner-centric owner owner investigations in uh, Adam Silver's tenure, Donald Sterling with the Clippers, uh, the Atlanta Hawks with Bruce Levinson, uh, those where there was audio tape with uh, uh, Donald Sterling. There were emails in the Atlanta situation. Uh, this is a story built more uh, exclusively, really, around interviews um, some of which are with sources who were not named in the story. So you can expect it to be a lengthy uh, investigation, especially, of course, if Robert Sarver continues to deny uh, much of what uh, he is alleged to have done and what numerous sources uh, described in Phoenix. And so, so I think you, you talk to uh, owners around the league today, executives, uh, players. I think there's a lot of uh, expectation that the league is going to really dig into this uh, Robert Sarver 
uh, son's situation uh, and try to come out with even more answers, not just corroborating uh, the reporting of Baxter Holmes, but the opportunity to go out and perhaps have more people give them more information uh, than perhaps was even provided uh, to Baxter for his and his story. So the expectation is for an investigation, but potentially one that isn't necessarily swift. Right. What's your sense of how the team will respond in the aftermath of this story, Woj? Malika, the Suns and their players, their coaching staff, their front office, they have had time to prepare uh, for their reaction to this story. And my sense is that Chris Paul is really, I think, the individual in that organization that they're going to lean on. He has been through uh, a number of crises as a leader, as a player, going back to the Donald Sterling situation with the Clippers. And as the Players Association president, uh, going, getting, getting his peers into the bubble and then getting them through the bubble. Uh, this is not uh, uncharted territory for Chris Paul. And I think you're going to see uh, not just the players leaning on Chris Paul's leadership here, but the front office, Monty Williams and his coaching staff, that they're going to take their cues from Chris Paul, who has had time to formulate how he would like to lead and handle this situation. Thank you so much, Woj. We will stay tuned for more of your and Baxter's insight and reporting as this continues to unfold. Thanks, Malika. On the court, the Suns' tenure under Sarver stated well that what the three conference finals appearances in six seasons and the third best record in the NBA during that stretch. Then the Suns went through a franchise-long 10-season playoff drought in which, the Phoenix, in which Phoenix recorded the league's third worst record. The Suns ended that drought in dramatic fashion with the league's second best record last season on the way to a finals appearance. And one of the players during Sarver's tenure joins us now, our colleague Vince Carter. Vince, in the 2010-2011 season, you were traded mid-season from the Magic to the Suns. Robert Sarver was in his seventh season as owner. When you read this article today, what, what memories stood out to you from your short time playing with the Suns? Um, well, Malika, I, I was traded there, so it was a lot going on uh, as, as a player, just figuring out the lay of the land more so on the court. So initially, I, I might have had a phone call or two with uh, Robert Sarver, uh, and, and then from there, as the season progressed, nearing the, the back end of the season, on the planes, I got to, to, to know him a little more, um, just by, you know, by us playing cards and having fun on the court. So, I mean, I'm sorry, on the plane and, and go on the road. So I didn't really have a lot of conversations with him. I know he's a fiery guy. He's, he loves to win. He wants to win. Um, and, and that was really the, the extent of it. You know, I mean, I didn't really see a lot of the things, um, you know, that I read and I'm just like, my jaw was dropped, you know, when I would see anything having to do with 2010, 2011, anywhere around that area, I just tried to think back on, did I see any of that? And for, for me personally, you know, and, and, and I wish I had more, it's just, I was going through the trade and just trying to figure things out for myself as well. Yeah, clearly there was there was so much kind of going on for you personally yeah. in that time. There is so much that goes into being traded. Do, do you recall any mm -hmm. instances in which you had specific interactions in person uh, with, with Robert Sarver? Uh, not really. I mean, I read a, a couple of uh, uh, pieces in there about, you know, him laughing and joking, you know, making jokes in, in the room. Yes, he, he did that. And, you know, you laugh and joke and, you know, if you didn't feel it was offensive you just you know, took it as it was and kept it moving so uh, you know I, I never had any instances of, of, of racism 
uh, or, or you know just a racist act or anything you know I, my good friend Corliss Williamson just reading about his situation or anything I, I didn't you know I can honestly say I didn't see him that often he would walk through speak you know we were just getting to know each other because i got there late so mm. the guys that he knew he had more conversation with and laughed and joked a little more but you know reading it now i'm just still in awe so i the the one thing that that stuck out to me from baxter's reporting <laughs> was when one person said if someone looks into the sun's organization they're they're going to have a lot of things to find, number one, and that a lot of folks seem to not be surprised, only surprised that this hasn't come out sooner. Was that your impression as someone who's been there, has been around? Well, for sure. I mean, you, you, you wonder, 17 years, how does this kind of fly under the radar, for one? Uh, you, you mentioned that, and I'm, I, I said the same thing. I'm like, yeah, right. How does that happen? You know, the only instances that I, you know, I know that I've heard and kind of experienced is as a player coming back, um, you know, after I played there, he, he walked into the locker room, you know, from what I was told from two teammates that, that I uh, reliable and trust in, in what they say that he, you know, he wasn't happy with me playing well coming back into, into Phoenix and we were winning the game and mm -hmm. he wanted them to take me out, put me on the ground. Don't let him have fun in our building because he felt like I was trying to show him and the team up. So, uh, you know, I read the piece about him going in there with the, you know, about uh, what was it? Offense about rebounding or whatever the case may be coming locker room. I've heard that before and I experienced that, um, you know, hearing from the player. So, you know, that doesn't surprise me. Like I said before, he's a fiery guy. He wants to win. And you can see that. There's the other instance, if you remember back in the lockout uh, time, we, we read the report or heard the report about he and LeBron James uh, going at it uh, verbally, just, you know, be, you know, just for whatever reason it was, I don't remember, but I remember that happening. And I was like, yeah, I can see that happening because he's a fiery guy. He says what he wants when he wants to. Being a fiery guy is one thing, Vince, but to take you out, what does that mean? What was your reaction well, to that? You know, it, I mean, obviously it was surprising. I, I, and, you know, he, you know, one thing he said, every time I scored the ball, I, I, looking at him, I mean, of course, when you go back to your team, that uh, old team, you want to score, you want to play well and show, you know, hey, you know, this is what I can do. <laughs> and sure. and I, I guess he felt that I was trying to show him up or, or whatever the case may be. I don't know. And when it was told to me, I was just like, wow, you know, so you're being careful. Uh, mm. I was thankful that those two guys uh, mentioned it to me, uh, you know, but, and nothing ever happened of it, but you know, he wanted to, he wanted to win, you know, that's just how it was. And, and I understood it and kept it moving and moved on, you know, I kind of just brushed it off. I was like, you know, whatever. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Nothing happened, so it was no big deal. It was nothing to really talk about because nothing really happened. Nobody got hurt. Yeah, well, but nobody got hurt. Someone could have got hurt. It doesn't seem to me that thank yes. take you out was a take you out of the game. That seems to me more like a take you out as in something physical. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah. No, you're right. That's. I mean, he was just, hey, make, send a message. Don't let him have fun in our building. Wow, wow. Thank you so much for, for sharing that with us, Vince, and please stick Go around. Ahead. We will have much more on this throughout our show, but also games that we're going to talk about with you and with others coming up on NBA Today, who stood out the most in the NBA last night, and which star needs to step up the most the rest of the season. Stick around. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, 
Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. NBA Today is brought to you by Marathon, driven forward. Moran, 360 spin and a finish. How ridiculous is that? How about this play from Jaws? Set, head fake, and hits it. Set, close out, Curry. Into DeRozan, blocked by Embiid. JoJo got all balls. It's huge when your best player wants to win that bad. It was uh, special for, for getting out there and making the winning play. Durant, catch and shoot. And there it is for Durant again. You might as well not even watch. You know it's going down. Tonight was one of those nights. We was able to make some shots. Achua driving home. Precious bringing it down from the heavens. Quickly up to Peyton. Oh! Do it with Bailey. He has violence on his mind. I heard, I heard the young glove the other day. I kind of like young glove. We really liked the roster, and there's a good reason for that. These guys can play. Wednesday in the NBA is always a busy night as the slate is packed. Last night was no different. 11 games across the league joined again by Vince and Richard and Tim Legler. So what was the biggest takeaway? <laughs> biggest takeaway from last night. I'll start with you, Vince. Uh, my biggest takeaway is 76 is right now 6-2. and two. Four-game winning streak, second in the East. You hear me? Second in the East after all the noise that we've been hearing about Ben Simmons. That easily can be a distraction and not playing well. But Joel Embiid is getting help. Niang averaging 12 points. Seth Curry, 17 points. Maxi 14 points. Uh, Corksmas, 11 points. I mean, they're getting some help from everyone. Everybody's contributing and doing the job. And right now, the Sixers are making some noise. Vince, I was watching Legs like smile and nod as you were talking (laughs) like you were in his head. What do you think? Listen, beautiful. You look at all the things they have dealt with, not to mention, in fact, the distraction with Ben Simmons off the court and what that has done to that team. That's got to be a difficult thing to play for. I think for me, though, my biggest takeaway last night is the Nets. Mm. Here's why. That's Mm. their cleanest game of the year. 34 assists. If you take out some rough shooting nights from Blake Griffin and James Harden, they shoot almost 60% from the field. The rest of those guys, it's a good team they beat, too. It's the Atlanta Hawks, the conference finals from a year ago. We've talked so much about what's going on with the Nets. Last night, they showed you what they're capable of when they move the basketball. And even on a night when James Harden still hasn't really broken out, Richard. Yeah, exactly. We got to keep our distance, even though we're both vaccinated. That's right. That's right. Well, look, for me, there was a lot of things. But one thing that I want to talk about, I don't even know if it's going to show up on the graphics. The Raptors have actually done a pretty good job. Right? That is something that I want to give a little bit of credit to Nick Nurse. It is very difficult. You lose the greatest Raptor ever in in Kyle Lowry. You know, you have injuries. You have a brand new young team. And you know what they've done? Hmm. They have just played consistent basketball. And that starts to show show you a consistent organization. When don't matter ups and downs, you look at Miami, San Antonio. They might have some downs, but their downs are never super down. (laughs) They just are kind of somewhat consistent. All right, but there's a lot to choose from. John Moran is must-see TV, although he tweeted that the whole yeah. team is must-see TV. That's, that's what he's saying. And DeMar DeRozan goes for 
37 again, but who is the player for you that stole the show? Who's All right. going with first, me? I'm yeah. going with, well, Richard's going with you, so I'll go with I'm going to go with Jordan Poole, okay? Now, th this is a guy that had a great last couple months of the season, so it's not a shock that he came in very confident. Here's why it's been so important what he's done. Obviously, they're, they're still dealing with depth issues waiting on Clay Thompson. The three worst games of the season by Steph Curry. I'm talking about games where he made nine threes total collectively in those games. He shot 30% from the field. In those three games, all wins, was Jordan Poole averaged 24 points a game, 50%. He's made up for the three-point production. So it's not just the fact that he's playing well. It's when he's playing well on nights with Steph Curry struggling. Well, Richard doesn't totally understand how microphones work, so he's trying to remember who I was he like, said. I was like, who, who did who I, I, I say? There's so many issues for Richard. Honestly, it was Paul George. So now, you know, Paul George. <laughs> He look. They've got off to a little bit of a slow start with the yeah. Clippers, and I, I, obviously there's no Kawhi. But they knew that going into the season. And I was one of the people that truly believed that Paul George is one of those guys that plays better when he's at a one, when he's a one A. He plays more aggressive. He gets locked in. He does all the things that you want him to do. Kind of like the Indiana Paul George. That's the guy that we see. When he becomes a 1B, I think he struggles a little bit. So last night, the way he played was so impressive. And Paul George is pretty good. Vince, not in your head, so I'm going to say you like Paul George. Real quick, just just, just, just the name. Like just it. the name. Who is it? Paul George? Uh Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, Durant man. Kevin Durant. Durant. All right. Did you see there, his third quarter? Gaining up the Wengler. Gaining up the Wengler. I see it. All right. Tip off your weekend with our NBA Friday doubleheader on ESPN and the ESPN app. Julius Randle and the Knicks take on Giannis Attentacumbo and the Bucks at 7.30 Eastern. And then Steph and the Warriors host the Pelicans. Our coverage starts with NBA Countdown at 7 o'clock Eastern. Coming up on NBA Today, we go out to Phoenix for a live report from the Suns on Robert Sarver, how the team is preparing for tonight's home game versus the Rockets. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Continuing the developing story on Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver, who is accused of overseeing an organization that many employees have described as toxic and sometimes hostile. Reporting from ESPN's Baxter Holmes reveals Holmes interviewed with more than 70 former and current Suns employees who've been a part of the team throughout Sarver's 17-year tenure and alleged he has used racially insensitive and lewd language repeatedly in the office. The Suns host the Rockets tonight in downtown Phoenix before getting a visit from the Hawks on Saturday. We now welcome in Brian Windhorst, who is in Phoenix. And Brian, the Suns actually put out a statement 13 days ahead of this reporting being published, and you've been with the team basically since then. What have the players been preparing for? Yeah, Malika, that um, put him into a bit of a stressful situation. Um, that came out uh, two weeks ago tomorrow. And they, uh, they've been here in Phoenix for about a week and a half. They've had a long homestand. And during that time, they've been preparing for this day. And in talking to some of the players, one of the things that they've been saying is, 
go back to what we did in the 2020 uh, bubble in Orlando when all the stress that they had associated with that, you were there every moment of it. You certainly know how stressful it was. They got into a bunker mentality, didn't let uh, the other things that were dangerous and, 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 and could distract them get in their way, and they went 8-0. And, and that is what it, you know they have talked about as they have uh, prepared for this moment. They have not played well early in this season. You know They're trying to get the rhythm back that they had on their run to the finals, and this uh, you know hanging over their heads for the last uh, week and a half or two um, has not helped the situation. Yeah, that has to be a challenge. You'll be in the arena tonight. What are you watching for and, and possibly even expecting, Brian? Right, so Monty Williams uh, elected not to make a comment when others did uh, when the Stuns first made the statements. And so as the voice of the organization and one of the, you know, the leaders certainly in this whole league, uh, how he treats this and how he evaluates this ahead of this game tonight will set the tone not only for his team but for reactions elsewhere. So the way Monty um, you know, re reacts to this is going to be very important. And then uh, after the game, we're expecting to see and hear from Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Again, two players whose voices matter a lot, both in Phoenix and outside Phoenix. And, you know, so not all the players who are here um, were here when some of the allegations happened uh, that Baxter Holmes wrote about in this story. But Devin Booker, one of the longest tenured sons, has been. So in addition to the, to the, the gravity of a player like Chris Paul, what Devin Booker says is also going to be important. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, Brian. Some of the key headlines of Baxter's story surround alleged misogyny and include the following. A former female marketing employee said Sarver would frequently use inappropriate language such as, do I own you? Are you one of mine? Said the employee, he makes you feel like you belong to him. I didn't want to be alone with him at any point. And Sarver, through his legal team, denied using such language, quote, the level of misogyny and racism is beyond the pale, said one son's co-owner about Sarver. It's embarrassing as an owner. So for more reporting on the level of misogyny and allegations surrounding the treatment of women in the Sun's workplace, I want to welcome in senior writer Ramona Shelburne. And Ramona, what stood out to you most about the egregious behavior towards women in the organization? Well, I, you know, there's a, there's a particularly appalling anecdote where uh, Robert Sarver makes a comment. It, it was it was about a, a they had a game in Los Angeles and the players didn't play well, um, and there was a thought that maybe they were out partying or something. And he says to a bunch of people in the earshot, uh, "Well, we should fly some girls in with, for the players to Los Angeles next time." Uh, and it, it was said as a joke, but there was a female employee present, and everybody else kind of laughed it off. But what can the female employee say? Right. I mean, there's, there's it, it, some of the stuff that was hard for me to read, even. Um, one, one female staffer said she contemplated suicide from working there, that, she, that they went to therapy and cried a bucket of tears, that there was no one to go to. There was, there was even an older um, female employee who had since left the organization who said, I felt bad that I was abandoning some of the younger girls there. Abandoning. Abandoning. And, and when, I, when you read stuff like that, it was uh, the, the, the other anecdote that I just it stuck me, it hit me really hard with he said uh, in the in the in the organization there was an executive who asked a woman you know, how many of your colleagues have you slept with and then asked about a specific co-worker's penis okay uh, and this woman is uh, this is a vp this is her superior asking her about this this is completely inappropriate and uh, who is she supposed to go to right. and as you just had Baxter on earlier he, he says 
you, you were told not to go to HR. HR right. didn't do anything about it. If anything, they said, go seek outside legal counsel. The checks and balances so clearly were not in place. Another mm -hmm. anecdote that, that stood out to me was a woman who was, was pregnant she was approached by Sarver and told that she couldn't continue necessarily doing the job that she was supposed to be doing allegedly because she would be breastfeeding at the time. Yeah, which it was the All-Star Game in Phoenix, a, a huge event. Completely um, inappropriate and disturbing <laughs> allegation. And, and, and Ramona, you produced a 30 for 30 podcast on Donald mm -hmm. Sterling's expulsion from the NBA and the owner of the Clippers organization in 2015. I know that Adrian Wojnarowski has reported this, mm -hmm. this could take a little bit longer, potentially, an investigation. So I, I want to be careful to, to make comparisons here. But yeah. what did you learn from your reporting on Sterling and the culture of complicity, a team that, that, that can shed light on this story today? Well, you know, when, when you were reporting on Donald Sterling, there was this sense of why did the tape where he was caught, his former mistress caught him on tape saying extremely racist, misogynistic things. Um, why was that the one that took Donald Sterling down? Okay, and there's a, something about there was a tape and you hear it in his voice. Right. Um, but there was always there was always allegations. There was always stories that you heard around the Clippers. There was lawsuits filed in housing discrimination cases. There were lawsuits filed from uh, from other women that Sterling had been involved in. Why why didn't those take him down? Why why was it this specific thing? And there was some of us in the media. We all said, well, did we not do a good job of covering this? Like, did we not do a good job uh, of asking employees or asking former staffers and players and coaches what it was like there and then reporting on it? There were some great investigative pieces done uh, at the time back. Baxter's reporting, I think, here is an incredible job reporting and, and, and investigation. Um, and, I, and I think that what, what we learned from, from Sterling, which, and, and, and as, as Woj said, there's going to be, a, there was expected to be an investigation here. But I think the one thing I learned was it's hard for people to speak out. It's really hard when you're in a position where you are not in power, where this is your boss. And, and there's the story that stuck with me is a, is a man named David Bodson. Um, he's a lower-level employee, and, and he's on the record. And it, he tells the story of when he was there in 2014, um, he was, there was an ice bucket challenge, the ALS, ALS ice bucket challenge. Yep. And Robert Sauver pantsed him in front of 60 employees. Pantsed him. And what's he supposed to say? I mean, his, his quote was, I had no idea what to say. What does a 25-year-old say in that situation when everyone's laughing at you? Right. And, and what struck me is this culture of complicity where everyone around, it's not, this didn't happen in a vacuum. 60 people saw this. Mm. What do those 60 people say? What do those 60 people do? Right. This is not one allegation. This isn't one quote on tape. This is 70 interviews with, over the course of 17 years. Yep. And incidents like this that were witnessed by a lot of people. Yeah. Um, Sarver's, you know, responds in the story, says, I would like to apologize directly to David Bodskin. Bodson. This is... Uh, that was, that was staggering to me, but it was also um, why these stories are very difficult to report on because the people who this happens to um, have a hard time coming forward because of the power dynamic involved. The misogyny, the racism, yeah. the lack of accountability. There is so much uh, in this story. I encourage everyone watching to take the 20 minutes to read it. It is important to hear what these folks are saying. Thank you, Ramona, Thanks so much for stopping by. More NBA Today coming up after the break. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. 
S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Welcome back to NBA Today. Prior to the Hornets-Warriors game, Clay Thompson was warming up, making shots, getting closer to his return, maybe, possibly. Richard, how's he look? He looks amazing. And one thing Ramona just reminded me is that he tore his Achilles on Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's what, you know, I know he's been out for two years and sometimes these get muddled, but he's still not even a full year out from his Achilles injury. Oh, it's good to see him getting up those shots legs. What I noticed was on that clip we just showed, he took as many dribbles in those four shots as he did tonight. He got 60 points. So, Clay doesn't need a lot. That thing looks pure. It always has, always will. He can do it when he's an old man with his grandchildren. His strokes can look exactly the same. Yeah, his wrist ain't hurt. There ain't nothing wrong with his wrist. No, he's still, look, leaving LeBron saying that that he can't wait to see him. And speaking of LeBron, the Lakers superstar, LeBron James, your former teammate, Richard, is expected to miss at least one week, quote, with an abdominal strain, a source told ESPN's Dave McMenamin on Thursday. And while no timeline for his return has been provided by the Lakers, a source familiar with the injury told ESPN's Dave McMenamin that the team's medical staff, quote, wants to take their time with James' recovery. Richard, I said when you get old, you can sneeze the wrong way, and all of a sudden abdominal just strain. Just because that happens you wake up with a like, oh, doesn't mean it doesn't mean. We've got five games on the slate on tap tonight with some fun ones. Donovan Mitchell and Trey Young will go head to head tonight in Atlanta. The Celtics visit the streaking Heat, and the Lakers look to get revenge against the Thunder. What do you like, Richard? What do you like? Uh, Honestly, I like the Jazz Hawks. I I think the Utah Jazz are playing great basketball right now. They're one of those teams that you're kind of looking at like, here we go again. They they still have that Milwaukee Bucks type hump that they have to get over. So and so in order for people to truly believe in them, they got to keep advancing further in the postseason. I think this year could be the year. Vince, you're calling that game. What are you looking out for? Yep. I'm definitely looking at that game and just look at Rudy Gobert, the way he's been playing basketball lately, you know, 15, 15, 16 points a game, 18 rebounds and two blocks. I mean, he has been a difference maker since mm-hmm. playing in the in the Olympics and being featured offensively in the, in the Olympics. He's a different guy right now. That's going to be a fun one to call. Legs, what you watching? I'm going to go Celtics Heat. Look. Much has been reported on Boston, what went on in the locker room, some right. sensitivities, some guys got the feelings hurt, they flushed it all out, they go out and they get a win, but they didn't play a team on this level. They go out and get an offensively challenged team and they shut them down. Jason Tatum still hasn't busted out, so now I want to see, did it really take effect? Is there any t- effect? And when you play right now the best defensive team in the league, the Miami Heat, let's see what Boston can do now coming out of that team meeting against a team that potentially could get to the finals. Two Eastern Conference teams going at it. And we know you're drinking the Miami Heat Kool-Aid. We've made that. We. 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 I, I, I'm he hesitant to do it. He has to do it. Oh, three. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I need three. Wearing this dude like a backpack. I know. Wearing this dude like a backpack. It's tough. He's yeah. heavy. Over. It's, it's Come to the Miami Heat bandwagon. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm on the Miami Heat bandwagon. But can you can you guys please stick around with me? Because coming up next, we will get more reaction about the Robert Sarver developing story from our former NBA players here on NBA Today. Stay locked. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. According to Baxter Holmes, at least half a dozen Sun staffers recounted to ESPN instances of Sarver hearing a story from a black player and then using the same language when retelling it, down to the usage of the N-word. Quote, you're like, well, Robert, you can't do that, said one former basketball executive. And through his legal team, Sarver denied using racially insensitive language, quote, I've never called anyone or any group of people the N-word or referred to anyone or any group of people by the N-word, either verbally or in writing. I don't use that word. It's abhorrent and ugly, and it's against everything I believe in. Continuing our discussion into the allegations into Robert Sarver and the Suns, we have a players-only meeting that I am crashing. Vince Carter, Richard Jefferson, Tim Legler, you've played for numerous owners on multiple different teams in multiple different cities. And Vince, in your case, as we talked about at the top of the show, for Robert Sarver himself and Legs, I, I do want to start with you here. How much of a role do you believe an owner plays in your decision to sign with a team? Well, I can tell you, I think this speaks probably for most players. You start weighing them, and there's different criteria, right? And you're going to rank those things, what matters to you. And the way I always looked at it was, this is what players are going to prioritize. First, how much are you playing for? Because, look, contract terms matter. At the end of the day, money's going to talk. Uh, Who you're playing with matters. Who are your teammates, whether it's somebody just you have a friendship with, relationship with, or just, hey, man, I want to play with those dudes because it gives me the best chance to win. What are you playing for? What are the aspirations for that particular team? Because winning matters to guys. Uh, Who you're playing for in terms of the coach and the coaching staff. And then somewhere further down the list in terms of a player's perspective is who owns the team. Mm. Because I think if you ask players around the league, who do you play for? They're going to say the name of the team. They're going to say, in some cases, I play for the head coach, they might say. My teammate, myself. I always thought the number one thing I played for was accountability to the guy sitting next to me in the locker room. I didn't want to let this guy down, Mm -hmm. my teammate. That was always the top Mm -hmm. priority for me in my head. Guys aren't going to say the name name of the owner of the team if you ask them who they play for. So I think most guys... They don't really prioritize who owns the team when they make those kinds of decisions. Yeah, and look, just to even you know piggyback off that, go back to when LeBron James left Cleveland and then Dan Gilbert puts out that long article, and it wasn't the prettiest article. We, we, we've talked about that. But then when he went back, he went back, and even Braun said, I didn't go back because I made up with Dan Gilbert. Like, they never really saw eye to eye. He went back because of the city of Cleveland, because that's what he wanted to do, and for his family. And no point in time like you could you knew that the relationship with him and Dan Gilbert wasn't great but the reason why he went back was for every other reason other than the owner so players really don't necessarily play for owners they don't do it that way they play for themselves they play for their families and ultimately to get paid yeah Vince hey guys real quick and, and think about this how many team I mean, how many fans how many players actually knows who who are the owners of teams outside of like Mark Cuban Michael Jordan there's a few there's a there's a short list of owners that you know by name offhand. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree with you, Legs. It's like when you when you pick a team, you're picking a team for 
many different reasons and the owner and the ownership is isn't one i mean obviously if it's a bad organization and things that you know players tend to talk about that but you never really hear them say the owner by name like mm-hmm. i said unless you you know the short list of people so yeah you don't really think about that i'm, I'm thinking about all the times i was a free agent i'm not signing like oh except for when i got the dallas and you know cubans right there you understand <laughs> who Hugh, mark cuban sure. is and you know his involvement but other than that you, you, I can't think of another owner. Well, until something like this comes out, right? Yeah. That's when we right. end up swiveling our attention here. We talk so much about culture. We're talking about a culture here that something has gone so very clearly wrong. Richard, how much does an owner dictate culture? And how much, when we're talking about the Miami Heat, for instance, we talk about their culture so often, how much is it dictated by other well, uh, it depends. It, it's so it, it's so unique because some cultures you can look at the Miami Heat culture. Everyone says it starts with Pat Riley, right? Everyone says, says it starts with Pat Riley. Then it goes mm-hmm. with Spolstra, and it's like checklist on down. You know, same when you talk about San Antonio, it starts with Greg Popovich, then R.C. Buford, and it goes down. So it's like sometimes it starts with the coach, sometimes it starts with the president, and some places it can start with the owner. One thing yeah. I will say this that people need to truly understand about ownerships. They don't, there's no such thing as meddling when it comes to an owner. They can come into your weight room, your locker room. They can come into your meetings. They can go into the coaches' meetings. That's part of our community that we just understand and we accept. The owner can walk in at any point in time, have any conversation, and that's just a part of it. So can that be, make it difficult for other people to do their job? Yes. But they are the owner, so there's not much you can say. I I think one thing I want to add to this, too, it it is a little bit different today, okay, in this respect. Because of social media. Mm. And here's why I say that. The impact of social media now when ugly accusations are made and everybody now can look at this. So now when players start to think about potentially the Phoenix Suns, there will be backlash that players will have to deal with as now they determine where do they want to play, where do they want to resign. That's not something I dealt with at all. The social media, the impact and prevalence of it, certainly at the tail end of Richard's career, Vince's career, it's obviously there now. Right. Well, it's just yeah, the truth. Old. Yeah. Old, it's just the truth. Come right? on, Richard. You're I'm, I'm Vin, Vince, what, what are you thinking when you're hearing this? No, I, I say, the only thing I'll say, yeah, it's it's common to see owners there. And the one thing you, you hope and wish is that the owner allows the coaches, the executives, the players to do what they do. If you're going to hire a GM and you're the owner, allow them to be the GM. Allow that person you hired to be the president. Yep. When, they go, when they get into meddling, like you said, RJ, that's when the issue comes. But, yeah. Owners come around all the time, and you're just like, okay, sometimes you, you would like to see the owner. You don't want you know to, to be a yeah. part of a team where you never see the owner. It's like, well, I don't know who runs the team. At some point, you want to meet the owner. You want the owner, quote-unquote, involved. But you don't want them to overstep their boundaries and now trying to coach, run plays, or suggest plays. You know, just <laughs> be the owner and run your team. Right, exactly. And then, not to mention, step in and say inappropriate things. Make people yeah. in the workplace feel uncomfortable because this is our players-only meeting here and we're talking about player reactions, but this is pervasive throughout the organization in Baxter's reporting. We will have more NBA Today coming up right after this.